the teams you care about. Mac Jones is good. That's not the question. The question is, is he good enough to win repeatedly in this loaded AFC? The stories that matter to you. If I'm Xander Bogarts, I need three things in order to get over that insulting contract offer. This is your home for New England sports. Jason Tatum, superstar, book it. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show right here on a Wednesday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Short show tonight, just 40 minutes up until 6.10, and we're going to run commercial free until the top of the hour so uh tom karen our socks and bruins insider at nesson is standing by he'll join us at 5 45 freddie coleman we spoke to today you'll hear a little bit of that here in the early part of the show the full interview available online and we've got a big guest coming tomorrow that we're going to announce right before we get out of here for the day you can get in as always on the napa morrisville napa waterbury text line that's 802-585-3026 your locally owned napa stores in water Barry and Morris Filligan. That's 802. Uh, let's see. Uh, 802-585-3026. Misread my own writing there. 802-585-3026. Facebook Live, YouTube Live, Twitter Live. We're available in all of those places. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we Go. The opening thoughts in the Brady Farkas show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. So this one came out of left field uh, today. I saw this story this morning, came right out of left field. Julian Edelman says he has not ruled out a comeback to the NFL and adds that if he were to come out, he would probably play for the Patriots, saying, quote, I'd probably go back to the Patriots. I love the Patriots. Foxborough forever. So Edelman was overseas when he said this doing a promotional event in Croatia. So that's where this all comes from. A couple of things right off the top. One, it's good to know that Edelman values the Patriots and that his first goal would be to come back to New England. So for everybody who thinks he'd just rush off to play with Tom Brady or Tom Brady is going to bring Edelman to Tampa, you can all cool your jets. If Edelman were to play, his first goal is to play for the Patriots. That just kind of warms the cockles of my heart. That feels good to hear that. But then the everything kind of comes down to two things off of that. There's two questions off of that. Like it feels good to hear, but if you're legitimately going to do this segment, there's two things we need to know. One, do you believe Edelman that he'd actually entertain a comeback? And two, do you think the Patriots actually need him? So do you believe Julian Edelman and do the Patriots actually need him? 802-585-3026 on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. I'll start with the first question. Do we believe Edelman would come back? I think that Julian Edelman is a flirt. I think that Julian Edelman likes the attention. I think he likes the spotlight. So I completely believe that he's looking to get his name out there. He's got business ventures. He's on TV. He eats up being part of the scene. 
I don't believe that Julian Edelman is actively pursuing a return to the field. I don't think he's like Tom Brady who can't go without the game. I think that Julian Edelman is happy largely where he's at. So I think he puts that out there to drum up attention. I think he likes the attention. And again, I think he likes to flirt. That said, I do believe that Julian Edelman is a workout guy. I do believe that he naturally stays in shape. I believe that if a team called him in season, he would entertain that phone call. I do not believe that Julian Edelman at 36 years old, with all those injuries at the end of his career, foot, knee, everything, you know, he missed basically the last two seasons. I mean, I don't believe he's a 17-game player for a team. I don't think he wants that, but I think he'll keep his phone on. And if somebody called him in November, I wouldn't be shocked if he listened. So as far as believing him, I believe he'd come out for the right, you know, for the right situation with the right amount of time. But I don't think he's seriously pursuing anything. Now, Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio, I talked about this today earlier with him. He disagrees with me. I buy that he's serious because sometimes when you're so used to doing something that's been a major part of your life, it's really kind of hard to have something else scratch that itch. So I can see Edelman maybe the kind of guy that stays in shape, maybe trying for one more year to help out the Patriots. He knows that offense. That could be a very, very boon to Matt Jones in his second year with this Patriots team. So I'm not going to say it's fully 100% that he's coming back, but I fully believe 100% that he's at least thinking about it. Yeah, see, I'm not, I, I don't believe that he is thinking about it seriously right now. I think he likes, again, to drum up interest and drum up attention. Keep his phone on, stay in shape. I do think he'll answer the call, but I think he's okay if the call never comes. I don't think he's like Tom Brady in that regard. I think he's got other interests, he's got other things that he can do, and he's got other things that satisfy him. I, I think Julian Edelman would be fine if the call never came, but I think that he would entertain the phone call if it does. So then, question two for the text line crew, do you think the Patriots actually need him should they make that phone call to julian edelman my answer to that question is similar to my answer to the first question they don't need him at least at the start of the season julian edelman is no longer trustworthy for a full season's worth of action the patriots also have a very crowded room Julian Edelman shouldn't displace any of the options they already have because the options they already have are either making too much money or are too young and have too much potential that I don't need a 36-year-old for the beginning of the season. You look around, right? Jacoby Myers and Kendrick Bourne play similar roles to Edelman. They're younger and more reliable right now, so he's not displacing them. Nelson Aguilar makes too much money. We're not moving on from him, and he's a deep threat. He doesn't do what Edelman does. You need Edelman. You need Aguilar's skill set, so he stays. Devontae Parker, who you traded for, gave up something for, he stays. That's already four receivers that I've got on the depth chart ahead of Edelman. There's my second-round pick, Tyquan Thornton, who I took out of Baylor. He is a guy who better find his way onto the field. That's five guys I'd put ahead of Edelman. And then, you know, you get into everybody else. I mean, Nikhil Harry, I could do without him. Malcolm Perry, I could do without him. Christian Wilkerson had a couple of touchdowns last year against Jacksonville. Trey Nixon was the star of, of uh, minicamp here. So 
I would say at the very least, I have seven guys at the beginning of the year that I would rather give opportunity than a 36-year-old Edelman. These guys that are either better right now, more reliable, healthier, cheaper, younger, can be a part of the future. I would give all those guys chances before I brought in Edelman. I mean, look, Edelman didn't play last year and missed nearly all of 2020. So he basically hasn't played in two years. I I can't cut guys who are good and have differing skill sets and have future potential. I just can't do it, even if it's Julian Edelman. It's show business. It's not show friends. It's nothing personal. At the beginning of the year, I got enough options there that I am not thinking that I need Julian Edelman. But similarly, that said, I also would stay in contact with Edelman because if November comes and this team is hunting a playoff spot, as we hope they will be, and they are suffering injuries, which we know that the NFL is a league of attrition, at that point, I would consider it. Devontae Parker is an injury risk. Nelson Aguilar has been injured before. If guys are out, something is needed, and you're playing for your playoff lives around Thanksgiving, I'd absolutely consider Edelman. I trust that Julian Edelman could give me five productive weeks. I trust he could give me two productive games over the course of just waiting until somebody gets healthy. I am not calling him and inviting him to camp. I am not asking him to play 17 games. That is not smart. But I am keeping his keeping his number handy, keeping aware of what he's doing, and hoping that he's working out because the NFL is a league of attrition. Guys are going to get hurt. If you suffer injuries in the in the receiver room and you need some place to turn, if it's November 25th, I'd rather go to Julian Edelman than Malcolm Perry. That is true. Start of the year, they got enough guys. End of the year, they just might not. Uh, once again, by the way, Freddie Coleman disagrees with me. He wants Edelman at the start or not at all. I'd rather have him at the beginning or not at all because I think bringing him in, and even though he knows the offense, you still got to develop some chemistry with your quarterback and chemistry with that offense, especially if you have not been in it for more than a couple of years. So if he's going to do it, I'd rather him be there at the beginning of training camp, the beginning of the install, to have him in the middle of the season, even though he knows he knows the offense, the Patriots know that. I don't think that'd be a good idea to have him come that late. Either be there earlier, don't be in it at all. You know what? That was an interesting perspective from Freddie, and it's triggered something else in my mind that we're going to get to tomorrow when we have more time. So tomorrow we have a full show, right? All 90 minutes because the Red Sox play a day game. So... Freddie in that clip has triggered something in me that I want to get to tomorrow about Edelman. But for right now, I don't think Edelman is seriously plotting a comeback. And I don't think the Patriots seriously need him. But I think that both sides should stay in contact with each other because Edelman might want to scratch an inch come November and the Patriots just might have an opening. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. So we will get to more of uh, the, the Edelman stuff that Freddie just spoke about tomorrow. But right now, 
we got to get to Tom Karen. So we'll play the intro. We'll get TC on the phone, and we'll talk a little Red Sox, who are red hot right now with, uh, with TC. Looking for the latest information on the Red Sox? Not only is David Ortiz a Hall of Famer, but he is one of the best of the best. How about the Bruins? Are they a Stanley Cup champion? Probably not as presently constructed, but they're a playoff team. And you've come to the right place. We talk now with Nesson Insider Tom Karen. Baseball isn't boring because there's still nothing like the communal gathering of fans at a baseball game. On the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, there we go. Brady Farkas Show. Every Wednesday at this time, we speak with Tom Karen, our Red Sox and Bruins insider over at Nesson. Sox win yesterday, beating the A's by a score of 6-1. to one. Eight strong innings from Nick Pavetta. The offense generated a couple of more homers. But, TC, before I get to the Red Sox, I got to ask you about golf. U.S. Open tomorrow. It begins over at Brookline. I know you're a big golf guy. Are you sneaking over there at all this weekend? I will be. Uh, Saturday is a Fox game, uh, fortunately. So we got Saturday off out of the Cardinals series. So I have uh, uh, managed to uh, weasel my way into a uh, hospitality tent. Uh, If you're on the 13th green, say hello. I have never been to a golf tournament. Well, I take that back. It's been 20 years since I've been to a golf tournament. How exactly does it work? Do you get situated at a hole or can you follow a player or what? Yeah, well, it's kind of both. It depends what you have for ticketing, right? A lot of it is just gallery ticketing, so you're you're free to roam about the course anywhere. There are bleachers. Uh, if you want to sit in the stands, you get there early, you stake your claim for the general admission. And I don't know about this one. <clears throat> Usually there's a fair amount of general admission ticketing, and then you so you sit over the 18th green. Hmm. Uh, the problem there is if you go run and do that, then you uh, – wait for a while because yeah. it'll be on the 18th for a while <laughs> and if you go in the earlier holes then so a lot of people will you know start in the the seats of an earlier hole and then just roam but then you're in the back of the crowd uh there are also hospitality tents corporate tents the usual kind of suites if you will and those are set up at a hole and those are catered events and uh, have you ever played brookline i know you're a big golfer I did. I played there last year. Uh, a friend who's a member, Jim Skevington, who's one of the uh, Woo Sox owners, was gracious enough to uh, invite me. And it's it's great. It's old school. You know, you walk with caddies uh, who who know the history and uh, every inch of every break. It's a really interesting course because for this event, they actually go into there's a, a little nine hole course next to it called Primrose, and they actually have taken that over. Uh, for a stretch, maybe even the whole season to reconfigure, and they've reconfigured a few of the holes to make them more challenging and more appropriate for for the pros. So they had to reconfigure four holes uh, of of uh, the country club for this event. Well, very very cool. U.S. Open begins uh, tomorrow, so we'll be talking. Can I just about- real quickly tomorrow? Yeah. Uh, Red Sox at one thirty. Correct. First round of the U.S. Open. Yeah. Celtics uh, Warriors at nine. Uh, if you're planning on driving in Boston tomorrow, just don't. Just don't. <laughs> just yeah. walk. If you're walking down here from Vermont, you'll get here quicker. Uh, <laughs> it's the, the traffic here, the, and you know, and there's paving and pothole repairs going on. It's just. Not a great week to be driving around Boston. Not to be that cranky old man, uh, but it'll be nice when we're back to normal. Red Sox and Bruins insider Tom Karen of Nesson with us here on the Brady Farkas show as he is every single Wednesday. Let's get to the Red Sox. You know, 
I always praise High and Bloom. I criticize him when I think it's appropriate, but I always praise High and Bloom, especially his ability to find guys under the couch covers here. But let's let's go to the other side. What is it either about Alex Cora's delivery or player development that allows guys like John Schreiber and Rob Refsnyder to come in and be valuable contributors in this season? I mean, Schreiber looks like he's going to be a high-leverage arm for the rest of the year, and Refsnyder gets three hits last night, two great defensive plays in as many games, and this is a guy that was on the scrap heap for a number of years. Yeah, a couple of different answers to that. One is a guy like Schreiber, I mean, it's almost – it's almost the, the Red Sox pitching lab now, if you want to call mm-hmm. it that. I mean, they're really good at telling, uh, showing these guys uh, that, that, you know, and Dave Bush is such a thinking man's pitching coach who had great success at the major league level. And you don't have a lot of pitching coaches who are both, you know, who can sort of help the analytics part of it. Uh, but but we're really good major league pitchers, and the players respect that more. But but they you know they can sort of show you that that releasing the ball with the pressure point here and an arm angle here as opposed to here with the sideward break of this as opposed to that, like they're really good at getting these guys to buy into that. Mm. And and Schreiber's a different look, right? He, he's down on the side, uh, and and I really like what he's done. He's almost. I don't want to say single-handedly, but he might be the most important guy in that bullpen right now because he stabilized that seven, eight inning role that now you can let Tanner Houck start to develop into the closer they've been looking for. Ref Snyder, I was talking to him after the game last night. It was interesting that, uh, you know, I'd forgotten that uh, in Tampa Bay, he had been an outfielder and he, Haim Bloom uh, was with him there in Tampa Bay. And, you know, a lot of his career, he's been an infielder, kind of a utility Mm -hmm. guy. And he said, he, he thinks he's a lousy infielder, and he said it really affected all facets of his game uh, by the constant grind of, of playing in an unfamiliar position. You've seen him in the outfield. Spectacular catch. Maybe the catch of the year Sunday in Seattle yeah. when he was in right field. Really good catch off Ramon Liriano last night going back towards the uh, the garage door in uh, center field in the triangle. So maybe uh, part of it is getting him in, out, in the outfield. Part of it is, you know, they, they've got him in against lefties that they, they think he can uh, perform against, you know. But this is a guy who, you know, I know he's here because Kike Hernandez is injured right now. But Rob Refsnyder is looking to me like a guy who has a spot on this team. And, and they need that right-handed bat because they've been a little too left-handed heavy. Uh, so I like what he does with this team. What do you think of Chris Sale's comments and the reports that he'd be willing to be a reliever do you see that as a high leverage reliever for the rest of the year is it he gets in as a reliever and it works back into the rotation what exactly do you think is the best use of sale for team and his own personal health well remember dave bush said those comments <clears throat> last week on the road trip mm-hmm. that was before nathan Evaldi and garrett woodlock both ended up on the injured list so i'm not quite as sure now that they're as excited about him being in the bullpen uh, I, you know, the idea is if you can uh, bring him back in a relief role, maybe you can get him back sooner because you're not, you don't have to build him up as much, right? You get a couple of innings uh, and, and he's ready to go as opposed to, you know, three or four minor league rehab starts to get him built up to 75 plus pitches, uh, which is, you know, going to be another three weeks once he starts a rehab, which he hasn't yeah. started yet. So I, the idea is to get him back and, and be able to help this team. The problem is Dennis Eckersley was saying it last night. If you do that, you bring him back in a bullpen, how do you stretch him out from there to start? You almost don't. So you almost, in that case, have to say, we're bringing him back, as you said, in a relief role that's an important relief role, and he's going to stay there for the rest of the year. 
Uh, I don't think that's what they want. I, especially with the injuries now, and there's always the uncertainty once uh, Nathan Abaldi has an injury that uh, will this thing linger? What's going to happen from here? Hips for both of them are a little concerning. So I, I think now, uh, and they haven't said this, but I do think they would like to get him stretched out to at least be a really long reliever or you know, a guy who, like Rich Hill, can come in and face the order twice and maybe give you five innings. Yeah. Let's move over to the Bruins here. We saw Bruce Cassidy goes over to Vegas now. He's going to be the head coach out there. Uh, John Tortorella gets offered the job in Philly. What do you think? Uh, what's the timeline on the Bruins, you think? Not necessarily to make a hire, but when will we start hearing maybe at least, you know, the, their interest level in guys? It's a great question, and you know, as of last week, last time I checked, they hadn't really uh, even started interviewing anybody yet. The, the process was just beginning. First of all, congrats to Bruce Cassidy, really good guy, and I think he's going to a really good uh, organization out there in Vegas. And, you know, he'll be the one. Now, I, I think coaches love challenges. Well, the challenge is going to be to turn Jack Eichel, the great hockey player, mm. Jack Eichel, yeah. a leader. Uh, he can be a coach killer. Uh, he could also be a guy who now in the coming years, and I'm a Jack Eichel fan, I think I think Vegas is a great place for him to sort of become the face of the franchise. But can you make him a leader in the dressing room? I think Cassidy can, uh, but that's what he's going to face. Back to the Bruins, I, I don't know. You know, names are starting to come off the board now. I guess it wasn't everyone waiting for Barry Trotz, right? That's what we sort of thought, that the log jam was Trotz. Well, now teams are starting to move in other directions. Uh, Trot's taking his time, and we know he's still the front runner on several jobs. Uh, I don't know where he fits in here, and I don't know what their timetable is. I think, you know, it'll be interesting if if they thought Bruce Cassidy was a little too tough and a little too uh, outspoken about his young players. Are you going for a tougher, more hardened veteran coach, or are you going in the other way? And if you go the other way. What about college guys? You know, Boston's such a great college town. Is a is a David Quinn who who didn't get much of a chance with the Rangers, but was uh, obviously a great coach here with Boston University. Nate Lehman won a national championship down in Providence College and is still there. Maybe they go in that direction. That's just me guessing. I don't have any knowledge of that. But that I think it's interesting to watch those guys and see if they fit into this discussion. Well, I'll get you out of here on this, and I think it's fascinating the way you just said that. So, Bruce Cassidy, tough love, public accountability, calls guys out. He's now out of a job. Ime Udoka, tough love, public accountability. We're all praising him for developing the young guys. Is there a shelf life on how long you can get away with that kind of stuff? Like, does that – we're all loving what the Celtics are doing now, but five years down the road, are we going to be singing a different tune? Oh, I think so. Sure. I, I, you know, here's here's what I think. I think coaching in professional sports, especially basketball and hockey, is a pendulum. And I think a, a team after, you know, whatever period, if it goes well, then you can stretch it out forever and, and coaches can evolve. But by and large, you watch a team and you'll go generally from a, you know, stricter old school public accountability, as you just said, they generally from there will then go to a little more of a player's coach, a little more pat on the back. I always go back to the early 80s Celtics. Bill Fitch was the ultimate taskmaster, grinded out, that kind of guy. They went from him to Casey Jones, who was patching on the back, get out there and play, let me know if you need a rest. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and that and, and they won championships, right? That was the beginning of the Larry Bird era. And and you know, guys I think a lot of times need a different voice. Does I again I've told you this. 
I'm a huge Bruce Cassidy fan. I, I think he got a raw deal here, but quite often somebody pays the price, like pulling the goalie late in the game. Sometimes you pull the goalie after giving up four goals because your defense has been awful, not because the goalie did anything, but you're trying to shock the system, right? Yeah. That's what I think this is for the Bruins. Uh, it, it's not fair to him, uh, but that's the way it is. Now, if you bring someone that the players maybe relate to or, or you feel they will, maybe all of a sudden – you get more out of DeBrusque and he's happy. And maybe these young guys start to, and, and again, that's a short term because maybe this voice, they start to tune him out in three to five years. But, you know, it's the oldest cliche in the book. You're, play, you're paying the players far more. There are a lot more zeros on that player's payroll than there is on the coaching staff payroll. When you got to make a change, it's going to be the coach, not the players. Uh, so, yeah, to answer your question, there is a shelf life. Does it mean Ime Odoka uh, is going to run out in five years? You never know because he's a first-year head coach. He could evolve, and sometimes the coach himself changes over time with the group. I think the great ones do, right? The ones with longevity do. It's not my way or the highway. It's what's the best way to get the most out of this group right now. Some coaches figure that out and last a very long time with one team. Others their way works for a while, then they move on to another team, and their way works for a while. Uh, Barry Trotz, who we've talked about, was great in Nashville, even though he didn't win at all. Ultimately, they felt they needed a new voice. Went to Washington, they won the Cup. Ultimately, they didn't want to pay him. He went to the Islanders, back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals. Now this year, didn't work. All of a sudden, they think there's a disconnect with the young players. That's the way it goes. doesn't mean Barry Trotz is less of a coach now than he was when he won the Cup with Washington. just means he wasn't the right voice for this team. That's what the Bruins thought about Cassidy. Maybe he's the right voice for Jack Eichel and the the Knights. We'll see who the right voice is for the Bruins. Tom Karen, Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson. TC, enjoy the game tonight. Josh Winkowski on the mound for the second time this year. And then uh, just get to to Saturday and enjoy going on to the U.S. Open. It's Yeah, as long as we can get there. We'll see what the traffic's like. If I send you a panic call from Route 9, (laughs) uh, just don't answer. It's me venting. I need someone to vent to. Don't wear a live golf shirt. They frowned upon, they frowned upon it's that. The Civil War. You know, there were a bunch of those guys, a bunch of golfers who were at Fenway last night. They were like, you want to try to go talk to them? And I didn't go directly, but we put out, nobody wants to talk to the media yeah. this week. I mean, it is a civil war and we are on the front lines. This is, you know, Boston, the country club is the Gettysburg of the golf <laughs> world right now. And uh, the two sides are lined up looking at each other. And I find it, Really intriguing that that everyone's welcome from the USGA's perspective, which I think is great. Uh, and I think, you know, that's going to factor into the crowd reaction to some of these guys. I think it's going to be a great meeting, Bill. Well, looking forward to that. And TC, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Brady. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. There he goes. Tom Karen, our Red Sox and Bruins insider over at Nesson. I do have thoughts on the uh, the live golf stuff and the U.S. Open and all that. We'll get to that tomorrow as well. Peter and Williston says, love having TC on. He is uh, great. Always learn something. Yeah, TC is great. He's certainly one of the best. So love having on TC as well. Uh, lots to get to from TC that we'll also have to react to tomorrow. Chris Sale stuff, the idea of him being a reliever. Buster Olney is going to join us tomorrow, too. We'll talk about we got so much to get to tomorrow. I've already got, like, tomorrow's show planned in my head, and we aren't even to tomorrow yet. So um, I do want to make an announcement, by the way, that we are going to have on tomorrow Owen Kellington. So it's going to be a multi-guest day tomorrow, which I don't usually do, especially like on game six of the NBA finals, but it's a special occasion, right? It's a buster only Thursday. And 
we're going to have on Owen Kellington, the Montpelier native, the U32 product. He is going to stop by with us tomorrow at uh, probably about 6.30. So Owen Kellington, the four, uh, the highest drafted Vermonter ever in Major League Baseball. Hard to believe it was about a year ago that he got drafted. So he's made two professional appearances. He actually left yesterday's game with a hamstring issue. He is still going to talk with us tomorrow, and we'll get the idea of how healthy he is right now. But uh, Owen Kellington going to stop by tomorrow. So, yeah, Buster only Live Golf, Owen Kellington, Freddie Coleman on Edelman. Game six of the NBA Finals. We got stuff to get to all over the place there. So, uh, good stuff, absolutely. So, this is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We are always streaming on the free WDEV radio app. See a couple of people who are excited about the Owen Kellington interview uh, on the text line, how about Jack over in East Barry? So appreciate Jack for being excited about it. And a couple of people from Montpelier as well. Uh, Lewis, Nelson, and uh, Nancy. Oh, and Tyler now in on the uh, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. They all can't wait to hear from Owen Kellington tomorrow. So, look, I've seen very little video, right? I saw one highlight. It was a nasty curveball. So we'll, we'll get his perspective on how things are going for him in professional baseball. Again, the injury right now, that's a bummer. Hopefully not too long. But Owen Kellington tomorrow, Buster only tomorrow. We'll react to a lot of what you just heard from TC as well. Awesome for TC, by the way, to score tickets out to the, uh, to the U.S. Open. I, I don't know how I'd feel about being at a golf tournament. You know, three hours of baseball, there's action there. All day golf. You see a couple of shots, or you follow, or you're walking seven miles to follow all the action yourself. I don't know how I'd feel about that. We'll finish out the show. Red Sox lineups are coming up next. Now it's back with Brady Parker Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, Red Sox baseball just a couple of minutes from now. You know, I'm also thinking about what TC had to say about the shelf life of coaches. And I think there's a lot of really good stuff in there as well. I I think he's exactly right. The Bruins players and the Bruins organization grew tired of Bruce Cassidy and his message. And now they've got to go the other way. The Celtics had that other way message with Brad Stevens. So now they've adopted the Bruce Cassidy style and Ime Odoka. And I do think that there is a shelf life. Like, I think every team eventually needs something different. And I I think the Bruins apparently had reached that time for them. The Celtics reached that time for them. And, you know, look, we can say Ime Odoka is great, and he has been great for this team right now. We'll see how they are in three years, four years, five years. And when Jason Tatum is 28, he might feel very different about the Ime Udoka methodology. I I think the whole thing is absolutely fascinating. I think the whole thing is fascinating. So game six tomorrow, NBA finals. We got so much to get to. Again, the show for tomorrow is already pretty much planned in my head. And by the way, the, uh, again, the U S open tomorrow, uh, Keegan Bradley threw out the first pitch at Fenway yesterday. So he said that it was awesome to do that. Grew up a Red Sox fan. He went to high school in Massachusetts. They're trying to claim him over this week, but no, we know that he is a Vermonter Woodstock own. So the show is brought to you in part by pro driver training. That's pro driver training. They are Vermont's premier truck driver training school online at prodrivercdl.com. They can help you with your class ACDL, your class B CDL, passenger and advanced skills training as well. Again, prodrivercdl.com. 
Sox.com. All right, let's get to Red Sox baseball in a moment. The lineups are now. The A's are 21 and 42. Yuck, although good for the Red Sox. Sox are 33 and 29. Josh Winkowski gets the ball for Boston, his second start of the year. He's 0 1 with an ERA of 12. James Caprillion's on the mound for the A's, 0 3 with a 5-7-3. Tony Kemp leads off its second again tonight for Oakland. Ramon Laureano's in center. Seth Brown's in left. He's got eight home runs. That leads this A's starting lineup. Christian Betancourt is the cleanup man at first. Steven Vogt, he's the DH, the former catcher hitting just 179. Three RBIs, all of them, come on home runs this year. So looking after him in the sixth spot, longtime shortstop Elvis Andrews. Sean Murphy is the catcher. He bats seventh. Luis Barrera is in right. He bats eighth. And Jonah Bride, the former Lake Monster, again in the nine hole playing third base for the Sox. Welcome back. Jaron Duran. He's up in center field. And the reason why, well, that's because Christian Arroyo, unfortunately on the COVID list, Raphael Devers is at third. J.D. Martinez, the DH. Xander Bogarts at short. Alex Verdugo in left. Trevor Story is at second. Franchi Cordero's at first. Kevin Ploiecki, the catcher. Jackie Bradley Jr., he bats ninth and plays right field. You look up and down this lineup of the Red Sox, 218, 216, 150, and 222 is your back four in the order. The big boys better carry you once again tonight. Sox go for there. Let's see. One, two, three, four, two. Third straight win. Third straight win they go for. We'll have it for you next here on WDEV AM and FM. 